I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and that meant I learned from books, teachers, and my parents. And at that time, I had no sense of two important factors. The first is that all three of them did not always teach me the truth. They didn't know it. The second is that this knowledge transfer was a slow process, and I'm pretty sure I didn't really enjoy it much at all. Now, I distinctly remember having to do a 20-page essay on Gandhi and spending hours in the library with three different books putting the assignment together. I hated every single minute of this. I had to read about Gandhi in order to gain some knowledge so I could then write a coherent essay without copying the, the words right from the books. Now, years later, I was giving some talks in India, and I toured one of the homes that Gandhi lived in. And for a while, the memories of doing that report came rushing back. And I distinctly remember how much trouble it was to actually have to sort through entire books to try to build a coherent 20-page essay so that maybe I would have a chance of getting an A. Now, back then, getting intelligence was much different, and it was much harder. This is pre-the internet era, certainly pre-the AI era. Now, in the last podcast, we kind of examined the idea of physical amplification. Now, let's switch to intellectual amplification. The improvements of our abilities to learn, think, make decisions, and create. I've been able to observe the difference between a world without the internet and one with any piece of information available in an instant. Now, that could be text, that could be video, that could be audio, but everything I could ever want to learn right at my fingertips, anywhere that I am. Massive amounts of information. Not three books on Gandhi, but thousands, thousands of pages with all different opinions, videos, audio, right? So on top of that, I'm also watching the next revolution, which is synthetic intelligences, learning in days what it takes people years to learn. And then now we can learn from the AIs built to help us with any topic we want to learn and create. So I'm not even reading through or watching videos on the internet. I can be conversing with a synthetic intelligence that's talking to me about uh, Gandhi. Or I can ask the AI to write a 20-page essay on Gandhi. I could take it and I can just make adjustments to it to make it mine and to make sure that it was correct. You know, it's, it's crystal clear as human beings, we learn very slowly when compared to machines. And I never really considered the ramifications of that until now. Doing the comparisons of what it used to be like for me to learn from books, from people, from observations, versus the ability to learn and gain intelligence today. I mean, as a child, I grew up believing that the human brain was the best computing device that could ever be invented. Now, I know that our intelligence is just one flavor that has advantages and disadvantages, and we are stepping into a world where we will have a hybrid intelligence as we combine synthetic intelligences, AIs, with our own intelligence to create a hybrid intelligence. And this moment will evolve humanity forever. If you think about the power that we have gained over the thousands of years that humans have been on the earth and how every generation stands on the shoulders of the generation before, and you, you think about you know, what, what is the collective intelligence of the human race, and then you think about adding that to the collective intelligence of AIs and what that will get for us. So as we co-work with AI, 
We'll speed up our abilities to learn just as we made the jump uh, when we got the internet. So getting smarter is not guaranteed, of course. It's, it's just a possible possibility depending on how we use the power of technology. This was the same actually with having the library or encyclopedias because just having them available didn't mean that a person actually used them. We still had to make the effort. You know, all the accumulated information on the internet is worthless if somebody doesn't choose to access it, doesn't choose to read something that is valuable. And now we have an improved an ability to be able to assimilate through a lot of different AIs, all of that information on the internet. But does that mean that people will integrate this capability into their learning ecosystem? I don't know. Now, thankfully, more will than will not. So, I mean, I, again, I'm just optimistic. I just look at humanity over the years. It isn't like every single person is going to take advantage of the, of the synthetic intelligence world that we have today. But I believe a majority will. And as they do that, they will see that it's such a giant step forward for human intellect. There will also be some level of competitiveness in the world that will drive people who might not want to create hybrid intelligence by mixing theirs with the machine. It'll drive them to do it because they'll see in order to compete in the way the economy is structured or compete in school, they'll need to at least try this. Now, that is also one of the factors that worries me, uh, and that is the digital divide, the, the gap between the people who can generate hybrid intelligence and those who will not be able to. I mean, libraries were free, but encyclopedias were, were not. And in our new world, AI and devices that, that deliver intelligence will cost real money. And as the economy works, the more powerful the tools are that help us extend our intellect, likely the more they will cost. You know, there's a very real possibility that we will have an AI gap that is uh, extremely detrimental. I mean, it's the next generation after what we call the digital gap today, uh, where those who cannot really afford to access the powerful synthetic intelligence tools that could help their lives and careers will find themselves lagging far behind those who can. And as a society, we'll need to watch for this and provide solutions. I mean, the internet itself is inexpensive enough to access at this point that most people can access its knowledge. But will we have the ability to provide, quote-unquote, free AI engines so hybrid knowledge is available to everyone? I hope so. It's definitely something to think about, the transition from what we've called the digital gap to now what we could call the AI gap. All right. I get asked a line of questions when I speak to audiences and it concerns a synthetic intelligence being biased with answers or plain providing incorrect information, right? Which people call hallucinating for some reason. I'm not sure why we picked that word for an AI that is giving uh, bad information to people. So listen to this carefully. AIs are young. They do have their weaknesses today. They do have bias and discriminatory behavior today. They, they will give wrong answers on things without meaning to be vindictive. They're just trying in their own way to answer a question. Now, this pales in comparison to the incorrect answers that people give or get from other humans or the bias that is built into other humans. I mean, where does the bias come from that is in AI in the first place? So it's important to really understand when people have concerns about AI and, you know, what AI is possibly going to cause as far as problems, that it is extremely young. It'll get better very fast. Uh, companies will be motivated to fix these issues. And I believe these issues can be fixed much faster than what humanity has seemed to be able to progress with. I mean, if I just look at uh, the bias in ethnicities or the bias in religions, it's improved 
some amount since I was a, a child decades ago, but it's not improving at a rate that I think uh, most of us would love for it to improve. And I think we have much more, or we can have much more hope that as AIs mature, that we will be able to make the improvements with AIs much faster than humanity is making uh, the improvements. Now, it's not to say that we should trust AI implicitly and have no discretion. As an example of what might happen in the future, look at the calculator. In the 1950s, we might have wondered if it was correct all the time, and we might have actually checked by hand to make sure the calculator is correct. But by the 70s, we used calculators in school and no one ever questioned them again. To this day, people do not use calculators and then go back and check the math by hand. Now, math is a pretty black and white topic, and there are some areas of knowledge that are not well, that are more subtle and debatable than just blindly depending on AI like we would a calculator. So, for example, uh, if we were to ask an AI what could be somewhat dangerous questions if we don't apply human thinking, you know, then we might be misled. Um, asking an AI if there's a God or who should I vote for in the coming election or how can I fall in love? Should I get a divorce? How can I be happy? Right? These might generate interesting answers from an AI, but I pray you do your own thinking when you're making a decision on topics like this. But this is all to say that as AIs get more intelligent, as AIs get less bias, we will be able to depend on them more and more for good answers or good input, just like we have a calculator. But we always will need to apply human thinking. In other words, to create the hybrid intelligence when we make many decisions, especially those more human decisions that I just mentioned. All right, in the world of concerns, I have concerns about humans creating synthetic intelligence and the problems that come from that. Uh, I mean, until an AI is self-learning and it looks at data and does all its own learning and it can pick its own data and, and verify the quality of all the data, in other words, until the AI can completely independently learn on its own in a way that's better than human beings feeding an AI training data, then we are going to have issues with the bias or the ineptitude of humans teaching an AI. There's going to be other issues that we're going to struggle with over 20 years. But as always, we got to keep perspective uh, that we have many problems with human intelligence today. So th this is the thing that I find interesting is the higher standard we hold AIs to, and then the lower standard we seem to be willing to accept from human intelligence. And both of these create a form of collective intelligence. As I mentioned, humans, billions of them, have created intelligence and passed it down through the generations and passed it to each other. AIs will also create collective intelligence. They will evolve. They will pass their intelligence to other AIs. And that's something that's really important to keep in mind. Also factor in, AIs learn much faster than us. They will never forget their knowledge over the generations. They never die. They will never lose what they have learned. That is very different than the way uh, human collective intelligence works. So to only focus on the problems with AI without understanding that our human knowledge failings in many cases are much worse is just an injustice, right? Or unwise. Uh, that's why I say, make sure you keep a balance. Every time you have concerns about the intelligence that is AI or synthetic intelligence, ask yourself the same question about those concerns with humanity. 
And what you might find is you get more nervous about human intelligence than you do synthetic intelligence. Now, let's go back to the concept of the, the outboard brain that we discussed in the last podcast. All right, I mentioned that you, we got mobile devices and those mobile devices became like an outboard brain for us with an app for everything. Now, we're going through stages of sophistication with having an outboard brain. So just having a mobile device that could do actions for us or could bring some information to us was just a first step. And we've been using using it in more powerful ways all the time. And like I said, we've added many different kinds of apps to give us more value from that outboard brain. And now we're going to be adding AI to our devices, and that's going to make the device itself much smarter. And this allows us to more easily co-work with AI on the device that is in our hands or talking to us through headphones. I mean, AI engines will get smarter and their machine intelligence will be very easy for us to access. So we are now inventing new mobile devices that are not even a phone, right? Just devices that are a physical bridge between us and AI tools, small devices that we just talk to and they have an action operating system to be able to go take whatever action we want through a collection of AIs that are delivered to us through this vice device with an audio connection to us. Now, will that all be built into what we today call our mobile devices or our mobile phones? Or will it be a completely separate device or will we have both? Uh, you know, my, my guess is we will end up probably with both. A more powerful tool that is the mobile device that we carry today and a much more lightweight tool that we can just talk to that probably will replace 60%, 75% of the tasks we do today with our traditional mobile device and just make it much simpler and easier to interact with the internet or interact with synthetic intelligences. Now, these devices are become closer to the literal outboard brain every year. And at some point, we will implant one of these devices or find a way to uh, embed the device very close to us, even if it's just a wearable. Now, at that point, it won't be an outboard brain. It'll start to be like an onboard brain. And the only next step will be to inject information directly into our brain, as we've read in science fiction for years or seen in movies like Total Recar. But I just wanted you to understand the generations of outboard brain. I could argue that it started with a, a, a compact, a luggable sewing machine-sized laptop back in the early 80s. And then we got laptop computers that were lighter and easier to carry. And then we got mobile devices. And in each step, these things are becoming more and more of an outboard brain for us. But we cross a pretty big threshold now. And we add synthetic intelligence to our devices. And then we will keep going to move that synthetic intelligence closer and closer to us. I mean, this is the ultimate in human and machine integration if we're talking about intelligence, right? Just human and hybrid intellect. The synergistic ability to create hybrid intelligence, the best of human and the best of machine intelligence combined. Now, we've already seen that a human mind combined with an AI normally beats an AI alone if we were in a competition. We've seen that in chess tournaments, but we've also seen that in many other ways, that there's some real advantages to mixing how an AI thinks and how a human thinks in order to make sure that we have a better outcome. Sometimes we'll talk about this as the human in the loop as opposed to a fully autonomous AI. So just something to, to think about when we talk about hybrid intelligence at scale. Yes, we will have fully automated intelligence where an AI is doing a task with no human in the loop. We'll have, on the other end of the spectrum, fully human intelligence with no AI in the loop. 
But I believe the vast majority of what we'll likely see if we look at a curve will be a bell curve with hybrid intelligence in the middle being the vast majority of where intelligence comes from. Now, when I use my high beam vision and I, and I just see, you know, how will this play out? I see some risks as always, and I mentioned some of those earlier. But as always, I see a more positive side as we amplify our abilities to learn with machines, to learn from machines in ways that are much more powerful and viable than learning only from other humans in books. I mean, I'm excited about the power of adding AI's collective intelligence to our own. I'm excited about the, the problems that we will be able to solve that remain a mystery today. As, we, as we've learned to have hybrid creativity, hybrid innovation, hybrid problem resolution, hybrid learning capabilities, we will take massive leaps forward. And human collective intelligence would never have allowed us to do that because our pace of learning is slower than a machine's pace of learning. Our ability to access vast amounts of data, to be able to learn, to be able to see insights, uh, there is a there is a, a an amount of information, an amount of data that eventually becomes so overwhelming that no one human mind can consume it. And this is not something that computers struggle with. Again, not only can they access massive amounts of data that no human brain could, they can share the information and share their learnings in a frictionless way across AIs. We cannot do that as human beings. So even if uh, I learn a tremendous amount and the person next to me learns a tremendous amount, one plus one does not even equal two. All of my knowledge plus the knowledge of the person next to me maybe equals 1.2. With an AI, it's very possible that all the knowledge one can learn merged with all the knowledge of another could be accretive. Their one plus one might be able to equal three. Now, that means we are, we are on the doorstep of a stage of growth for humanity that will be talked about for all of history. And, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to exaggerate this in some type of science fiction way for you. I really want you to step back. And when we talk about uh, this amplification of intelligence, right, this amplification of intellect in human beings, the ability to share intellect with a machine to create hybrid intelligence will have an amazing outcome on humanity. I hope you see this, and I hope you understand that you live right now at the beginnings of this hybrid intelligence era, and that's a great thing to be optimistic about. Yes, AI is deeply in the news, and everybody is thinking about it or trying to understand where it'll go. I think, as you know, many people are curious, many people are scared to death about what it will become. I really hope that you can just step back and understand that it isn't the AI specifically. It is the concept of our ability to have synthetic intelligence intelligence, and then to merge that synthetic intelligence with our own, to be able to create something that has never existed before. And that does not mean that we are creating a Skynet that will decide that we don't need to be in the world and seek to get rid of us. What it will mean is we will be able to amplify everything that has been human intelligence uh, to a scale that we've never seen before, to retain knowledge in a way we've never been able to do before, to be able to speed up the gaining of intellect in human beings in a way that we never have before. That's why I mean I am not exaggerating when I talk about moving into this hybrid intelligence era. And this is what happens when we can amplify, right? I amplify ourselves into a hybrid intelligence. 
All right, so we've talked about the amplification of human beings just in general, going back in history. Then we talked about amplifying humanity from a physical level. Now we've talked a little bit about amplifying humans from an intellectual level. And in the next podcast, we'll just talk about the big picture impacts, right? The big picture impacts of technology amplification on humanity to round out this series on digital amplification. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Hey, have a good Humology Day. Thank you for listening and giving these ideas a chance. Let this be a two-way conversation and connect with me on Twitter at sklazowski or on LinkedIn. I also write a blog that you can find at scottklazowski.com. An added bonus is a library of thought-leading graphics you can download from the site. One more thing, please take a moment and rate this podcast on whatever platform you use. Ideas are powerful change agents, and positive reviews will help spread the digital optimism.